Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast of the Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and today I have the pleasure to be joined by three of our lead commissioners for our recent Commission on Cancer in Sub-Saharan Africa. I am joined by Professor Wilfred Noir from the Harvard Medical School and John Hopkins University in the USA and ICT University in Cameroon. Dr. Beatrice Suyaf Adai from the Peace and Love Hospital in Ghana and Professor David Kerr from the University of Oxford in the UK. Sub-Saharan Africa comprises 46 countries and a total population exceeding 1.1 billion people. The region has long suffered high morbidity and mortality driven primarily by infectious diseases, malnutrition, and poor maternal and child health, but is now also being afflicted by a growing incidence of non-communicable diseases, including cancer, a disease that in high-income countries affects one in two people. This double burden of disease is a consequence of lifestyle and behavioral changes, a shift in population demographics to an aging population, genetics, infections, and environmental factors. The health of the people in this low-income region, where fragile health systems are underfinanced, under-resourced, and understaffed, needs to be a global concern. Consequently, the Lancet Oncologist Commission on Cancer Control in Sub-Saharan Africa was established to determine the key actions that need to be taken urgently to address the escalating emergency. So I would like to welcome our three lead commissioners. Professor Noah, we'll start with you. Can you please provide a little more context to why this commission was needed, how it was developed, and how you overcame any challenges? Yes. Thank you, Marcia, for that question. I mean, I think the most important driver behind this commission was the fact that uh, for a while now, we know that there is a cancer situation in Africa, but there's really not been a very detailed report on that. And so the commission was really created, you know, to inquire into and describe and analyze the state of cancer in sub-Saharan Africa and recommend actions that can be taken to address this. And I can tell you that, you know, the findings are very compelling in saying that there is an urgent situation in Africa that needs to be addressed right now. And so in developing the commission, uh, the Lancet was able to have us work with the leading cancer health professionals across Africa and across the world. In fact, we have about 54 commissioners on this, which is probably one of the largest (laughs) commissioner lists that you know, you can have for a commission report that I've seen. And, and it was really important, you know, to be able to have the widest possible inputs from all the experts. In terms of the challenges that we had here, one of the challenges obviously was COVID-19. So the Lancet Commission actually started at the AODIC. So they, we started recruiting people uh, to be part of the commission in 2019 as part of the AODIC conference in Mozambique. And then once we started putting that commission list together, COVID-19 hit early 2020, uh, 2020, which meant that, you know, um, you know, we had to reposition ourselves how we wanted to do the commission. So that was the main challenge. And so over the past three years, everybody's worked really hard. And we're very proud to say that, um, you know, the commission report has really done what it was supposed to do, kind of really detailed situation of cancer in Africa and uh, recommend key actions. Thank you. And uh, 
We know that cancer incidence, among other non-communicable diseases, has been increasing worldwide, particularly in low- and middle-income countries. What do the most recent data tell us about the current situation in sub-Saharan Africa, and what are the reasons behind this incidence increase? Yeah, the statistics, let me start with that. They are, they are very urgent, they really drive urgent action. So let me say, so we have right now about 520,000 deaths per year in Africa. And uh, from the commission, we actually see that that would increase to about a million deaths per year by 2030. And that would increase to about almost 1.5 million deaths per year, or 1.4 million deaths per year by 2040. Uh, if something is not done urgently about that. And to your question, what is really behind this driving, this change? So I would say that, number one, when I was growing up myself in, in Cameroon, in Africa, you know, we used to always deal with communicable diseases, infectious diseases like malaria and HIV AIDS. You know, I grew up during the time of HIV AIDS where, you know, most of the deaths were happening at that time. You know, but what we have seen now is that a number of things have happened. You know, we've had, you know, this infectious disease shift where people now are, you know, demographics and environmental and also behavioral, you know, changes that have really led to driving this cancer incidence surge in Africa. So I just touched a little bit about, you know, the, the change. So as people live and survive now longer from things like HIV AIDS, what happens is that, you know, uh, they now begin to have cancer because they're living longer. That's one of the risk factors. Uh, but also things like HPV, you know, the human papillomavirus itself can also cause a number of cancers like cervical cancer. And so, you know, so that's, that's one of the driving forces. Uh, we've also seen that, you know, there's been a big uh, behavioral change where people are now increasingly adopting you know, Western lifestyles in Africa. And so uh, that also means that, you know, the, there's been increase in things like obesity and stuff like that, which, which really drives some of these uh, non-communicable diseases as well. We've also seen environmental factors. Actually in Africa, we know that uh, there's a lot of farming taking place. And so, you know, things like fertilizers and things like that, those pesticides that are being used are also increasing or helping increase and drive this cancer burden. And so, you know, as we think about, you know, these different changes in Africa, you know, there's been really a seismic shift towards, you know, this growing burden of non-communicable diseases like cancer. And I really think that, you know, uh, urgent action is really needed to address this now because uh, uh, that's, you know, cancer is killing more than COVID-19, you know, right now, as far as we know in Africa. So uh, urgent action needs to be, uh, to be uh, done right now. And so based on these data, are there major concerns about particular types of cancer or is it a more general um, concern? Yeah, the, the, there are some cancers that we really are concerned about. Uh, some, of them, some of them are actually preventable and curable, like cervical cancer. So if you think about cervical cancer, like I mentioned, you know, one of the drivers for that is HPV, which is really... Uh, you know, part of what happens when people are infected with HIV AIDS, you know, now this virus is causing all these other uh, cancer cancers, like cervical cancer is one of them. We also, uh, Kaposi uh, sarcoma is one of them. And we are also seeing increase in, in, in head and neck cancers. Uh, all of these cancers are kind of linked towards these infectious diseases. 
as people survive them, you know, they become, they have these risk factors, they, these, these, these HPV uh, can cause that. So that's one of the, the leading uh, cancers, cervical cancer, and Kaposi, sarcoma. And my colleague, uh, Dr. Beatrice, uh, would probably tell you that, you know, for women, one of the leading cancers is also breast cancer. It's a huge concern there. And actually, you know, this commission report has really found some really great examples of how uh, models that can be copied to address this. Some of these are very curable, they are treatable, like, you know, in the United countries, like the United States, you know, cervical cancer in developed countries, you know, cervical cancer is no longer a big concern. But um, in Africa, you know, if you kind of really have this comprehensive plan for prevention, you can eliminate these cancers. And so this commission report actually provides those kind of recommendations on what can be done in terms of uh, the complete cancer control continuum and highlights models like what Dr. Beatrice is doing in Ghana and also some countries in Africa, which can be emulated across Africa. So I would say those are the top cancers, cervical cancer, you know, breast cancer. Uh, from the commission, we also see prostate cancer as a leading cause for, for men. You know, so that's something that really needs to be addressed as well. Thank you, Professor Nigua. Um, Dr. Uyaf Adai, um, there has been an increasing focus on prevention awareness and screening to avoid cancer cases. Do you think Sub-Saharan Africa has the required infrastructure? Thank you so much for this question. I want to say that I believe in most African countries, we have the necessary human resource infrastructure required for prevention, awareness, creation, and screening. Because these structures are basically found in education. In regards to prevention and awareness creation, I will even dare to say that some countries have more than enough when we add on uh, Africans in the diaspora. You know, there are well-skilled personnel available in other countries. And all we need to do is to retrain them and in the specific areas of expertise, depending on the individual country needs. There also needs to be redistribution of trained uh, staff because of the centralization of uh, highly skilled professionals. Just like we have most of our specialized hospitals in the big cities. But technology now gives us so many more options on how to do that, apart from having physical relocation of our countrymen who are serving abroad. So the percentage of people on our continent receiving basic education is increasing. So we can take advantage of uh, these increasing students and educate them and also engage them in awareness creation efforts. You know, so if we educate them about the cancers, it will be a lot easier than trying to educate their mothers and their, you know, grandmothers who have the myths and the misconceptions that have been passed from generation to generation. 
But when we touch on screening, there we have challenges because we don't have the infrastructure in place. We don't have the right equipment. Uh, but I think most often we talk about what we have at hand, what that we can do clinical breast examination, for example, but it's not the same as screening mammography. I know that almost no African country is doing screening mammography, but until then, let us use what we have. That is our hands and the, the teaming numbers of nurses that we have in our communities. The community-based nurses can be used, they can be retrained to do clinical breast screening and also to screen for cervical cancers and other cancers. Um, thank you. Um, are there besides structural issues, cultural differences that make it harder to reach some of these communities? Yes, I believe that the structural issues are, are weak points. And that is the reason why we need to prioritize cancers in our countries. To make our governments and our policymakers understand that investing in cancers are not just any other investment. It means investing in the people, and that will yield a lot of benefits. So reaching out to the communities, the absence of good referral systems in, the, in our healthcare system in general is a, a huge problem. But when you come to cultural differences, in fact, we rather need to learn the, the cultures of our people. Every country has its own cultural diversity. So I think we can all agree that, you know, the diverse cultural differences are not to be used as a, a problem. We should learn our various differences. And when we learn them, when we, we have the knowledge about them, it rather empowers us to, to make things work. Because working in Ghana, for example, with our nonprofit NGO, the Breast International, which has traveled to eight out of 10 previous regions in Ghana, our most successful education campaigns were those that were that we educated ourselves on the culture of the people we are trying to reach and capitalize on the differences to reach out to them. When we go to them, they need to see themselves in us. And sometimes we may even have to train somebody, one of them, who understands their language, who knows their culture well, to be able to relate to them well. And when that is done, they, they take whatever information you give to them and they understand whatever you are saying and they go with you. That makes the work easier. I don't want us to see our cultural differences as a barrier. 
we should rather see how we can go over them and use them to our advantage. Because the people you are going to show understand you and to relate to you. Yes, I think in these cases, uh, trust is key. And uh, as a surgeon in Ghana, what do you think are the main barriers for patients to access care? I would say access to affordable health care. The lack of awareness is a problem. The stigma surrounding a disease like breast cancer, the myths and the misconceptions surrounding the disease. For example, a woman in Ghana will think that she will die from a breast cancer when she undergoes mastectomy. Rather than thinking that it's the spread of the disease that can kill her. So the education that we are doing is very crucial for the women to understand the disease and to know that it's not the surgery that will kill somebody. Um, specialized cancer centers are very far from the women who don't live in the cities. And sometimes there's no good referral system. So when she finally makes her way to us in the hospital, we have the barrier of the cost, the lack of adequate coverage of the national health insurance, because the national health insurance in several African countries are not complete. They don't cater for screening. They don't cater for diagnosis. So the woman with the breast problem, for example, or any cancer for that matter, doesn't have anybody to run to. There are no social support systems. And so by the time she comes to the hospital, it's already too late. And we need to find out ways that we can help the woman to survive the disease. Yes, late presentation is a major problem in tackling the health challenges surrounding cancer. What obstacles stand in the way of palliative care in Sub-Saharan Africa and what improvements could be made? I actually must say that palliative care is a bit neglected in Africa. It's a very important area that we should look at in our health system because most of our patients are coming late. So you need to even start with palliative care for, you know, 60 to 70% of breast cancer patients who are reporting with stage three or four disease. So we need to start talking about palliative care from the onset and also try to have centers where such patients can be referred to so that they will get the need the needed attention that is um, you know required we we need to look at a holistic cancer care you know not only surgical management or chemotherapy but looking at the patient from the beginning to the end. In Africa, end-of-life care is very 
complicated. And so we need to start educating our people about the fact that most cancers will end up with palliation. And so how do we go about it? I believe the biggest obstacle is the lack, lack of development of health centers in the small towns and villages. Because if the patient is living in a village and you have your palliative care unit in the big city and you don't have a place to house them, how do you expect them to get the, the needed care? The, such patients who need palliative care may not be able to travel that far, you know, to travel for five hours, eight hours before getting to the center. So decentralizing such care is something that we have to think about. And also making the care affordable. I talked about accessibility. Uh, equipping the regional hospitals, for example, will help patients who live around the area. Equipping the hospitals with CT scans, for example, you know, so that the woman will not have to travel for hours to get a CT scan to check whether there's metastasis to the, to the brain, to the liver, to the lungs, or to the bone. So I believe that if we look at cancer care as a holistic care, it will help us to relieve the pain that a lot of patients go through. Not the patients alone, but their relatives, their children, their spouses, and even caregivers who are sometimes not recognized in the cancer care continuum, but they have a lot of role to play when it comes to us giving the care that the, the patient needs when it comes to uh, cancer in general. Thank you, Dr. Riaf Adai. Professor Kerr, um, currently data are a powerful weapon to combat diseases, cancer included. What would you recommend to improve data collection and registration in sub-Saharan Africa? But all of us understand that cancer registration is a very powerful tool when we want to get governments to pay attention to the ever-rising problem of the national burden of cancer without data, without understanding the pattern of disease, its incidence, its prevalence. We, we, we cannot plan cancer services. So I would say that decent cancer registration would be the platform, the pillars upon which we would build any national cancer plan. Uh, we have discussed clinical issues, but a huge component of advancing cancer care is research. Does this commission make any recommendations on how to expand uh, cancer research in sub-Saharan Africa? All, all of the commissioners who contributed to this, I think, important piece of work have got a research background of some sort. All of us recognise the need to encourage research further with our brothers and sisters in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's one of the dominant themes that has come out of the Commission. So we give some advice about how we might build networks linking uh, research active centres and hospitals transnationally um, to help build infrastructure, 
how we can build partnerships north-south, south-south, with established research centres so that we can help educate, encourage, build bilateral partnerships. But one of the most important things about any research strategy uh, with our colleagues in sub-Saharan Africa is the bilaterality of it. By that I mean we both learn, we both benefit. That There's lots that we can learn. We know that our African colleagues are desperate to provide their knowledge, their understanding to the global cancer community. And there's much that we can learn by collaborating in clinical trials, understanding basic cancer biology, genetics, and so on. So this is a, this is a partnership of equals, not us imposing a, a research model from those rather wealthier countries. No, no, a partnership in which both sides benefit really, really well. Thank you. So what um, are the main calls for action from this commission? The, the way that we worked the commission was we, I guess you could say we had a series of divisions or chapters or pillars, you know, upon which we, we built the entirety of it. And in our call to action, we, we highlight the need to collect better data through cancer registries. We highlight the need for better training, education, 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 as Tony Blair once said, in partnership models. But with that, education comes uh, a need to make sure that African colleges are retained within their home countries. I, I look at our National Health Service and we are forever recruiting high-quality nurses, doctors from Africa. Uh, and we need to create a set of conditions in which those highly trained young doctors and nurses can stay and develop careers within their own countries. Uh, again, something that we should be able to help support bilaterally with those wealthier nations supporting those which are perhaps less wealthy from the sub-Saharan African region. We, we talk about research, how we can uh, again develop partnerships, networks to drive research forward, but with a particular interest in implementation research, the, the gap between evidence and practice, I think our African colleagues are uniquely well placed to develop a whole infrastructure around implementation research. Um, there's something around telehealth and telemedicine. How can we use modern methodologies, again, to network, but to provide um, support, education, training, research, yes, but clinical support for, for those colleagues who are, um, there just aren't enough of them to deliver multidisciplinary cancer care. So can we develop telemedical models that would allow second opinions or you know, providing additional support coming from outside. Infrastructure is important. That always we think a little about investment in bricks and mortar, but, but this is more uh, in addition to investment in people, um, equipment, radiotherapy equipment, access to surgery, access to the necessary equipment and kit for that. Access to drugs. I'm a medical oncologist, so um, anti-cancer drugs are, that's, that's my trade, that's my clinical practice. And we need to do better to improve equity of access to cancer medicines, innovative cancer medicines. And again, there's a whole stream of work that, that, and thought that we put into that. One of the words that crops up, again, thematically through all of the divisions that we talk about is equity fairness, 
but, but equity of access. So there's some interesting, I think, important data that came out suggesting that patients in, with cancer in Africa present with disease which is very advanced. We divide cancer into stages one through four, stage four being the most advanced. And patients who present with very advanced cancer, the majority of these patients cannot be cured. And with the opportunity for earlier detection, catching the cancer at an earlier stage, that provides a much greater opportunity for cure. But we must think about better ways to deliver cost-effective, simple point-of-care screening programs that, 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 that could be taken up by, by our colleagues in Africa. So a, a huge piece of work, some very clear recommendations coming out, and we hope practical ones that uh, governments, charities, donors, but most importantly, the community of African oncologists and their patients could act upon. So as, as a wrap-up, what about now? What are the remaining steps or desired outcomes with this commission? Um, the, the next immediate step is for us to launch the commission and my friend and colleague, um, Beatrice Adai, um, has set up a fantastic launch event in Accra and Ghana, supported by my other colleague, Will Noir, who's put so much time and effort and his own energy into help, helping to drive the, the commission forward. So we will have the launch. That, I think, will give us a, a platform, importantly, within Africa and the wider world, given the um, amplified voice that we'll have by working with Lancet Oncology, given its um, fantastic network and importance as one of the world's top cancer journals. But that's not just enough. I mean, making a momentary splash, a, a, a moment in the media sun, if you like, isn't at all sufficient. But we know that the people who will be coming to this launch will be influenced by it are policymakers. They're, they're people who have roles within national health ministries, within the African Union, within WHO. So we will hope to build a momentum that would carry the recommendations that we've made further forward. This plan is about action. We've had enough warm words. We've had enough regard from each other. But we feel that this should be a pivotal moment in time that should lead to transnational action in implementing the key action points that we recommend in our report. I would like to thank our three lead commissioners and all our listeners. This commission is now available online at lancetoncology.com and will also be available with our June issue.